following audio is from the Anglican Church, Caroline Springs. For more information about the church, go to taccs.org.au. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jimmy. Uh, as John has said, I, uh, I work here. I'm a pastor. Well, not, not really a pastor. I'm a Sunday service director. I also work with the youth. Um, I'm really excited to be here this morning. Especially, though, I've got a question I want to ask you guys. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied truly, like deeply, in the recesses of your heart? Do you wake up in the morning content, fully satisfied? There's lots of claims to satisfaction in our world. Sex, wealth, power, influence, education, knowledge, leadership. All these big claims. And what our world says, our culture says, that if you get enough of these things, if you get enough, if you get enough sex, if you get enough wealth, enough influence, then you can attain satisfaction. That if you get enough things, you can reach the level of being satisfied. It becomes a game of accumulation. Every single day we have to accumulate more things so that we can be satisfied. Are you satisfied? Have you reached it yet? I think, to be honest with you, I think that this game of accumulation will leave us bitter and dry. It will leave us exhausted. I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted from trying to be satisfied. Lots of people... Lots of people have tried to get dissatisfied. So I thought what would be a good thing is to maybe look at people who, who have reached all those things. People who are the most wealthy who ever lived. So here are some quotes. I wish that everybody could get famous and wealthy and have everything they wished for so that they could realize that it is not the answer. Jim Carrey. I'm the most miserable man on the earth. Jay Gould, the ninth richest American who ever lived. I wake up every morning thinking I am happy and knowing that I am not. That was Charles Lamb, an English essayist. John D. Rockefeller, the famous American. He said, when asked, how much wealth do I need to be happy? How much wealth is enough. And he said, just a little more. Just a little more. Alexander the Great, upon conquering the entire known world, everything that was known, cried in his tent for days, weeping and crying out, there are no more worlds to conquer. Are you satisfied? These are the richest, the wealthiest, the most powerful, the most influential men who ever existed, and they're saying, no, I'm not. I'm not truly satisfied. I need something more. I need something more. And the reason is, I think, we can't turn off satisfaction. I can't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I don't want to be satisfied anymore. I'm going to turn off that button. Satisfaction is not a thing anymore. Every morning we wake up, we want to be satisfied. When we're not, we're unhappy. 
We want to be satisfied. There's a desire to be satisfied. I think that's interesting. From personal experience, I want to be satisfied. You know, I've, I've done a lot of things. I've, I've dated enough women. When, when I initially wrote uh, my sermon, I said I dated lots of women, and I showed, showed my wife, and uh, she was in the other room and just, just laughed. So I've, I've dated enough women. <laughs> I've, I've, I've gone overseas. I've traveled for three months to all of Europe. I've climbed the highest mountains. I've been successful in everything that I've wanted to be. I've made more money than I know what to do with. I've married my best friend at the age of 23. Yet I wake up in the morning knowing that those things don't satisfy me. Those things don't satisfy me. I want more. I want more than that. I'm not satisfied. C.S. Lewis is a great Christian author. He, uh, he wrote the Narnia books. But he didn't, also, he, just, he didn't just write about Mr. Tumnus and the adventures in Narnia. He also had a great quote. He was a great writer. He said, If there are desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, then maybe I was not made for here. Maybe I was made for somewhere else. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's what we're going to look at. How can we be satisfied? Is it possible to be satisfied? I think so. I think it is. We're going to take a look. Verse 37 from John 7. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The thing that I get from this verse is that our soul, that the innermost being of our heart, it, it needs to be satisfied. It has a thirst. Just like our body, like, like our body needs water. When we're thirsty, we need water. We crave water. Our soul desires to be satisfied. There's something inside us that cries out for satisfaction. It cries out. When we have no water, our bodies shut down. You can't go without water for very long. I think it's like a week at most. You can, you can not eat for a month. You can uh, not sleep for like a month as well before you like die. But for water, it's like a week. Without water, you shut down. And without satisfaction, the same thing will happen spiritually. Our heart, whatever you want to call it, our heart, soul, life force, whatever words, doesn't matter. It was designed to be satisfied. You, personally, were designed to be satisfied, crafted and created to be satisfied. That's why you can't turn it off. That's why you can't wake up in the morning and go, I don't care about this anymore. It doesn't matter what I do. In the morning we wake up wanting to be satisfied and there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. All these claims... Jesus just announced them as baseless. He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So you can go and have as much sex as you want. You can gather as much wealth and resources. You can procure enough influence and leadership or gain enough education and intelligence. But Jesus is saying that it will not be enough. 
It doesn't matter how much you have, you'll wake up in the morning and not be satisfied. Just like John Rockefeller, it will always be a little more. Always a little more. But we trick ourselves. We trick ourselves. We think, okay, well, just a little bit more. If I, if I just got, you know, if I got to the next rank, if I just got that promotion, if I just got to that wage bracket, if I purchased that house, if, if, I, if I got kids, if I got married, if I dated that girl or that boy, then, you know, I'll be satisfied then. If I get that person, you know, I'll, I'll be satisfied. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm married to the, my best friend. Like, our marriage is not going to satisfy me. So we look elsewhere. We look elsewhere by two means. We look to other things. So, for instance, in Australia, what we do is we look to sports teams. So especially sports, uh, NRL, AFL, all those things. And we look to them for our satisfaction. And what happens is that our emotions ride on whether a group of 22 men that we don't actually know performed well enough that week. Like seriously, just saying it out loud, that's ludicrous. And I know this because I'm a Richmond supporter. Like, like if I'm signing myself up to be satisfied by the Richmond Football Club, you need to sign me up for some like hardcore counselling at the same time. Like seriously, that's not going to satisfy. And, the, and, and more to the point, maybe, because there's a lot of parents here, what others do is try to live vicariously through their kids. That is, they look at their kids and say, well, I, I'm not satisfied. But you know what, if my kids, if they achieve, if they achieve, then maybe then I'll be satisfied. If they get, if they go to uni, if they go to Harvard, whatever. If they become powerful, if they own their own business, if they play for the Richmond Football Club, then I'll be satisfied. The problem with all of these things is that they're dead ends. But not just dead ends, they're long long dead ends. They're not the dead ends that you can kind of recognize within a couple of days and say, well, that was a bad decision, let me turn around. These are the kind of dead ends that result in midlife crises. People have been trying to achieve, trying to get that little bit more every single day since they were 18. Wake up at the age of 45, realizing that everything they've done is insignificant and they are totally unsatisfied with the way that life panned out. So the question today is, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied personally? Are you satisfied? When you wake up in the morning, do you go, you know what, I'm I'm good. I'm satisfied. This is awesome. What Jesus is saying here, and this is a really important point, so can everyone just look at me? What Jesus is saying that if your satisfaction isn't found in Jesus, it will not be found at all. You can look to the ends of the earth. You can, you can trust as many sports teams as you want. Your kids can be as successful as you want. But if your satisfaction is not found in Jesus, it will not be found at all. At all. And that is the promise. See, your heart, the heart that was designed to be satisfied that the soul, the life force, whatever you want to call it, that was designed to be satisfied, was designed to be satisfied by God. That's the only thing that will satisfy it. 
Sex, wealth, education, influence won't cut it because at best they're fleeting images of a good and great God who was designed to satisfy. Your heart was designed to be satisfied satisfied by God. It's the most important thing that you can know about yourself. You have a soul, heart, life force, whatever, and it was made to run on God. Just like the body needs fuel, it needs water, it needs food, it needs a good steak every week, just like all those things, your soul, the innermost being, was made to run on God. God alone will satisfy. And the thing is, I'm not a smart man. I'm not a good, I'm not, not a good liar. I'm not good at pretending. Just ask my wife if I've cleaned the house this week. Or better what? Better, better yet, let her ask me. Let, let me squirm. I'm not very good at pretending. Right? If I didn't believe this 100%, if I hadn't found this to be true, if I hadn't experienced this on my own, I could not be telling you this with such passion. The only reason that I can declare this loudly is because this is what I've found to be true, that Jesus Christ satisfies and nothing else does. That's what I've found. That's my experience. And the, the claim gets even greater. The next verse. In verse 38, he says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In the past, I have been satisfied for moments. I've found things satisfying. There are days in my marriage where it satisfies me for maybe you know, a week. You know, my achievements, they leave me buzzing for a couple of days. But at the end of it, it's unsatisfying. Long term, unsatisfying. Short term, sure, they work. Unsatisfying, long term. And what Jesus offers here is so much more than fleeting satisfaction. It's so much more than just a one day fix, than a short term cure. What he's saying is, Come to me and I will have you satisfied eternally. Eternal satisfaction. There will not be a day where you look at me, where where you come to me and not be satisfied. Every single day will be satisfied. What he's saying is you won't find it elsewhere. This satisfaction doesn't exist outside of me. At best, they're poor and poorly made images of me. They're poorly made images of God. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you achieve or how smart you are. You won't be satisfied outside of God. But for every person who believes, they will have rivers of living water. What Jesus is saying is that when you come to me, you don't get a drink. You don't get a drop. It's not like one little sip of satisfaction. What he's saying is you get a river of living water. Eternal satisfaction is at hand. 
for everyone who believes in me. That's a big claim. If you come to me, if you come to me, you'll never, ever have to look again for satisfaction. You'll know where it is. What Jesus is saying is that nothing, nowhere, and no one else but Jesus satisfies. That's the crux of his point, that you can look anywhere, but it's only in me that you will be satisfied. So let me ask you, are you satisfied right now? There's a lot of people, a lot of people who don't seem satisfied. I don't get happy, happy faces when I ask them, are they satisfied? People are like, oh, crap. I think satisfaction points to a deeper issue that we have. If, if, we're, if we're, we're beings who are created to be satisfied by God, if God satisfies and we're not satisfied, if God satisfies and we're not satisfied, it seems like there is a break in the line. It seems like there's a barrier that means we can't get satisfied. The end result of this is that we're broken. Something has cut us off from God. Something has got in the way between us and God. If we're made to run off God and we don't, there's something wrong. My friends, I, I talk to my friends, friends a lot, um, like non-Christian guys, they, they, don't, they don't go to church, they don't go to Bible college, they just do whatever, they're you know, workers, tradies, all that kind of stuff. And their, their basic belief is that everyone is good deep down. Everyone is good. They say, you know, you know people mess up, people, people screw up, they, they lie, they cheat, Whatever. But, you know, deep down we're good. Deep down we want to do good. And just, just from personal experience, I haven't found that to be true. Like just looking inside, being real with you, I don't think I'm a good person. I know who I am. And I'm not good. My desire isn't to do good all the time. If anything, it's the opposite. My desire is just to be selfish. Do things that I want. Be whoever I want to be. Screw anyone else. And I think we've experienced this, this brokenness. You only have to look at our world to see what kind of world we live in, right? We live in a world where aeroplanes can disappear overnight. We live in a world where sports stars shoot their girlfriends. We live in a world where war happens, riots, rape, assault, Lying, murder. We've got, we've got the New South Wales uh, Premier just got sacked for lying. This world doesn't seem too good to me. But if anything, it's not the world that's broken, it's the people who live in it. It's not just a broken world, it's that the broken world is filled with broken people. Messed up people. And we've experienced this, Surely. We experience some semblance of brokenness, either for us or to us. Some of us might have experienced a divorce. Maybe their parents separated. You got sacked from work 
unfairly. You've been bullied. You've got people lying to you or you've lied. Maybe you've cheated on your wife or your girlfriend. At the heart of it, we're messed up. So when my friends come to me and say, you know, I think we're all pretty good. We just mess up. I say, no, I think that's a sign that we're not very good, that we're pretty messed up. The Bible says that at the heart of it, our issue is the reason why we're not, where we're broken and we're messed up and we're separated from him is that we aren't good. The Bible says the reason is that everyone has rejected God. In the beginning, God created the world, said that it was good, and pretty much since then we've flipped God the middle finger and said, thanks God, we can take it from here. You've done a pretty good job at this world, but I think I can do better. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, no one is good because of this. All have fallen short. No one is good. There is not a good person amongst us. But it doesn't paint a very good story, does it? The story at the moment is we can't get satisfied, we're broken, we live in a broken world with broken people and we're separated from the only one who can satisfy us. It's a messed up situation entirely by our own creation. That's what the good news is. That's why we need some good news. Because the good news, friends, the good news is that Jesus Christ came into the world to die for the world so that the relationship between us and God could be restored. So that the relationship between the one who satisfies and the one who needs to be satisfied can be rebuilt. That is the good news. Apart from that, it's all bad news, but this is great news. This is the best news. Good news is an understatement. Understatement of the century. More than that, a millennium, whatever. It's an understatement. This is the greatest news the world has ever heard. Good news is a disservice. The good news, though, the great news, the best news, is that Jesus Christ died on a cross, a perfect man. The only one who could deal with our separation from God. An innocent man for a guilty man. The Bible calls Jesus our substitute so that he can take our place. I'm guilty, I'm no good, I'm broken, I'm messed up. But Jesus lived a perfect life and died on a cross so that he could be our substitute. How many, how many play soccer or have played soccer in the past? Hand, hands up. No one likes soccer. What's going on here? When, when, other sports have substitutes as well. But when you're playing soccer, you get to the 70th minute. Things start getting a bit harder. Right? You can't kick the ball well enough. You can't keep up with your opponent. You can't keep running. So what does the coach do? He calls in the substitute. The substitute who can keep up, who can kick the ball, who can make those runs. He calls in the substitute because the substitute will get it done. And that's what Jesus has done. God sent his son to be our substitute so that we have the greatest news, the best news. He lived the life and died the death that we couldn't so that we didn't have to. 
This is good news because it fixes our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not that we can't get satisfied. Our biggest problem is that we're cut off from God. That we're broken and we're cut off from God. That's our biggest problem. And Jesus comes almost as a bridge between us and God. See, we can't, we can't jump over that chasm because we're broken. God is holy and can only, only hang out with holy people and none of us are that. But Jesus says, I'm going to be your bridge for whoever believes in me. Maybe it's all pretty abstract, this story. So maybe I'll tell a personal story that's, that's a bit disgusting. About a month and a half ago, um, I was feeling really sick. Um, I sometimes get indigestion, nausea, that kind of stuff. But what, what I did was I had a shower. So I got in the shower and I thought, you know what, that's going to make me feel better. Get some warm water, you know, get myself clean, that'll, that'll be heaps better. But, uh, but what happened was that about halfway through, I started feeling really sick. I started vomiting uncontrollably. Lunch, breakfast, yesterday's dinner, yesterday's lunch, it all came up and I was covered in vomit. Naked, shivering, filled with chunks of vomit. And what my wife did, because she's a good wife, she came in and she covered me with a blanket and she cleaned it up. At that moment, I had absolutely nothing to give her. I was not attractive. I had nothing beautiful to give her. I had nothing redeemable. There was nothing that she would say, I want that in return. She did it completely because she loved me. She took me out of the vomit-filled, cold shower and wrapped me up and cleaned me. The truth of the situation is that is exactly how we are before God. We don't have anything attractive to give God. At the heart of it all, at the end of it all, we're all naked, shivering, filled with vomit before God. Now, we can appear attractive to other people, like, I can appear that I'm doing really good things. Like, you can look at my, my marriage or, like, the things I've achieved. And like, Jimmy's doing well. The truth of it is, though, at the end of the day before God, the only one who actually counts, naked, shivering, and vomit-filled. That's the truth of our situation before God. We have nothing to give which makes the claims of Jesus Christ so much greater. Because if I was him, I'd be like, you guys are messed up. Why you got that on you? What are you doing? What are you doing? But Jesus Christ says, not only will I save you, not only will I clean you, not only will I fix this mess up that you've created, but I will satisfy you eternally. This is the greatest claim. This is a big claim. That Jesus Christ, even though we're, we're nothing, we've got nothing to give, nothing at all, that he will come and clean us up. For whoever believes will not just be satisfied for one day, but will have rivers of living water. We have nothing to give Jesus. 
we had nothing to give Jesus on the very first Good Friday when he died on a cross for humanity. There was nothing to give. In fact, we're probably the ones, if I was there, I probably would have been one of the ones who sent him there. We had nothing to give, but he died on the cross for us anyway. We're made to live on God. We're made to be satisfied by God. And Jesus Christ, on the first Good Friday, made that possible. So if you're, if you're, you're in, the, in the crowd today and you're wondering, I'm not satisfied, I'm not finding all these things. You know, I've been looking after wealth and influence and power and leadership and sex to try and fill this hole in my heart, then I've got a great news for you today because Jesus died to make that possible. He says, everyone who comes to me will be satisfied, have rivers of living water. So if you want that satisfaction, if you want to be satisfied, if you're sick and tired of looking elsewhere, Jesus has an easy thing to say. He's got three words. It doesn't matter if, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you attend church, if you don't attend church, if you want satisfaction, three words. Sorry, thanks, and please. Sorry, Lord, that I rejected you. I'm sorry that I tried to live my own life, tried to replace you and put myself in your place, Lord. I'm sorry for rejecting you and causing this barrier. But Lord, I thank you. I thank you for sending your son to destroy this barrier. I'm so thankful, Lord, that even though I have nothing to give, I have nothing at all, you still sent your son so that we could have satisfaction, salvation. And Lord, please, please help me be more like your son. Please help me live the life that you want. Please help me be obedient to you. Three simple words. Three simple words. But maybe you're not convinced. Maybe you've, you've heard this claim and you think, well, maybe, maybe it's not true. I'm not so sure. You know, I'm not satisfied, but I, I, I might want to you know, keep my options open. And I'll say, fair, fair call. But I challenge you to actually come and work out whether this is the kind of thing where you'll be satisfied. Take a walk with us for a month. If you say you're not satisfied and you want to be, take a walk with us at church for a month. Just one month, four weeks, four Sundays. And see if the people who claim to be Christians, see if they're actually satisfied. Because I can tell you from pure knowledge, from, from interactions with them, their story is that they are not satisfied in themselves. They're not satisfied in their achievements. But Jesus Christ brings true satisfaction. That's their story. To a T. That Jesus Christ is the only one who satisfies. And if you want to ask more of me, if you want to hear my story, I, ask me after the service. My house, my, my, my address is 1 Layla Court, Caroline Springs. It doesn't matter where, if it's today, tomorrow, next week, two weeks, four weeks, whatever from now. If you want to find out about this satisfaction that won't run out, this eternal life, this river of living water, have lunch with me. Ask questions. Ask a story. 
Because I'll tell you that this is true. That no one else, nowhere else, and nothing else but Jesus Christ will satisfy us because of what he did on Good Friday. That's the only thing that I know to be true. That Jesus Christ will satisfy us. I'm going to pray now. If you want to pray with me, if you want to say those three words, that's awesome. If you want to talk after the service, that's great. We're just going to pray now. We're going to bow our heads and pray to God. Dear Lord, we're so sorry, Lord. We're so sorry what we did, what we've done. So sorry that when it came to the push, we rejected you and tried to live our own race, tried to run our own life. But Lord, we're so thankful, we're so thankful that you sent your son on the first Good Friday to be there, to die for our sins, to be the substitute that we needed, Lord. We're so thankful for your son. And Lord, just please help us live this life. Please help us go and live a life for you, not just a life of goodness, but a life that when people see it, when people see it, they go, I want some of that. I don't know what's going on, but I I need some of that. What is going on with you? Help us live like that, Lord. Help us be truly satisfied in you. It says, whoever believes in me will have rivers of living water, Lord. And I pray that people today find their satisfaction in you, Lord. That they stop looking at all these different things that are best, at best, poor images of you. My deepest, my deepest desire, my deepest prayer is that people find their satisfaction in you today, Lord. So I pray this with all my heart. You've been listening to the Anglican Church Caroline Springs podcast. For more information, go to taccs.org.au.